that is this. If you look through all of the text and all when Jesus is talking about sheep throughout the whole time, if you look at the original language, which is Greek, every single time he's talking about sheep, he's talking about it in the plural. It's always plural. It's always collective. And so we said, oh, we should talk about this. And Jesus talks about this good shepherd idea like crazy in scripture, right? Oh, he, so one thing about this story and this particular section of text in John and, um, is that he beats this metaphor until it is <laughs> dust on the ground. <laughs> he is like, listen, it's so important for you to understand this, that I am going to spend 21 verses coming at this. I'm the gate. I am the shepherd. We are talking about sheep. We're going to, I mean, Andy and I were talking on Thursday and we're like, I mean, we're surprised he wasn't like, and the sky and the ground and the grass. And the, I mean, he just goes at it from every direction. He wants us to understand so badly. Yeah. What I'm the good shepherd over and over, over and over and over. Let's talk again. about this metaphor again in this <laughs> from this angle right just over and over beating this metaphor to death yes. but the thing that's fascinating to me once we were we were reading in the greek and we were seeing like every single example and in english of course we say sheep and it means one sheep we say sheep and it means multiple sheep it's not the same in the greek it's very clear that this is plural every single example jesus is saying sheeps sheeps it's always the sheeps Everybody together in one group, the sheeps. He's basically saying the flock of sheep every single time. And I said to Andy, I was like, you know what I know? I'm curious about why he thinks that we're so much like sheep because I grew up on a farm. Yeah, this, this I didn't know this. And I figured neither of us knew anything about sheep. And she's like, oh, I know sheep. This is what happens when you make assumptions. I know, I shouldn't have. So <laughs> I grew up on a farm. And we had lots of animals. I can tell you stories about peacocks all day long. <laughs> but one thing we also had was sheep. And I tell you what, my experience of sheep is that they are disgusting, <laughs> they are smelly, they are so loud, they are ungovernable, they have absolutely no desire to pay attention to what's going on around them, and they make decisions really erratically. Like, they're constantly, some of you may have seen sheepdog videos online, where like, they just like go wherever they want, and the sheepdog has to kind of continually be hurting them because they'll just go in this really crazy, flowy way all over. They're impossible to control. They are a disgusting animal. Truly awful. And I was like, man, this metaphor isn't very nice to people. <laughs> it's not very good for us as the church. I mean, I get on my way and I'm like, well, we really need a shepherd, don't we? <laughs> but Andy said, he's like, well, you have actual experience with sheep, but I have experience with something I else. I don't have experience with sheep. Um, so I, I couldn't really follow that metaphor or analogy. But in terms of dealing with smelly, stubborn, um, erratic uh, behavior. I, I don't have experience shepherding sheep, but I was a high school teacher. <laughs> and so I said, well, this, this analogy may work a little better for me because if you've ever, if, if you remember being in high school or if you've dealt with high schoolers, you have smelly, um, you have stubborn, noisy, noisy 
erratic folk who like to do their own thing. And one of the things that I discovered... None of the young people in our church, though. No, really. not at all. Not at all. One of the things that I discovered, though, that was really important for me as one who was, I'll say this, the word shepherd, one who was leading, trying to guide this group of students, was the <laughs> importance of having them understand kind of a collective mentality versus their own individual needs and desires and, and purpose. If I could communicate well enough what would, it was essentially the ethos of the class, this is how things are going to roll, this is how much I care about you as my student, this is how much I expect you will care about one another, if I could cement that in their brains, then all of a sudden it was, it was like a tranquilizer of sorts, and they were able to say, okay, I'm safe, I'm okay, and in this space, I know that if I, I can go with the flow, because this is, a, this is an okay direction, this person is going to take us in an okay direction, S to the point that in terms of classroom management, oftentimes if a new, a new sheep, if you will, a new student would come into the class, and that student decided to act erratically or, or get out of line, if you will, talk when I was talking, which everyone knew they shouldn't do, then it, it didn't take me having to pull that person back in, but somebody else in the class, some other student would kind of lean over and kind of nudge and be like, hey, dude, we don't, we don't do that. It's, it's, it's not, you're, you'll figure it out. Like, just, we don't do that. And so there's a self-policing there, but it took first establishing the understanding that yes, your individualism is important and I honor that, but also you're a part of something greater here and you need to understand that. That's how I would herd your and actual, flock, yeah, and actual sheep behave the same way. They sort mm -hmm. of flow together. It's when one just like wanders off on its mm -hmm. own that things get confused and crazy. But mostly they pay attention and trust each other and the, and the group. Mm -hmm. So what about this personal decision piece then? Because that seems um, related. You know, you've got one person who's going off doing their own thing mm -hmm. and isn't paying attention to the ethos to the, to the rest of the, the herd or to the shepherd. Well, I... I grew up, um, as many of you know, in a conservative, conservative evangelical church. And so the understanding of my relationship with God was that at one point I made a decision that I was going to receive Jesus or I was going to take Jesus into my heart and uh, Jesus would be my personal Lord and Savior. And because I made that decision, the understanding of that transaction was I would then receive eternal life and the presence of Christ with me. So there was this, a transaction that happened. Okay. Now, the problem with that, and this is something that one of my seminary professors pointed out to me that just blew my mind at the moment. He said, the problem with that is that it turns God into an object and we're the subject all of a sudden. And God is just something that we can claim, we can grasp, we can have, we can take. Mine, 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 right? And, and the reality is, is that God is always the subject. Always the one who says, mine. You are mine. All of this has already been claimed. And so the idea that there's some kind of transaction, and I, and I remember what that also turned into is, the fear on my part that God would ever take that back, that I would mess up in such a way that God would change God's mind and say, well, I know you took me as your savior, but then 
idea of back, remember backsliding? Did you ever hear that term? I didn't grow backsliding. up in the I grew church. up with the idea of backsliding. Ooh, you're a backslider. Ooh, God might change God's mind. But that's not the way it works. If we see throughout our text this morning, Christ makes a claim on all of the sheep, essentially, right? The sheep are mine. I'm the one who's claimed them. They know me because I knew them first, hmm. right? So there is no transaction. So in, in essence, when we sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, I'm perfectly fine with singing that because it's not necessarily wrong. Having a personal relationship with Jesus, understanding Jesus on an individual basis is not wrong, but it's not all there is. It's the beginning of something. It's the beginning of a collective that you, you're a, a part of. Essentially, it's, yes, and blessed assurance, Jesus is ours at the same time. It's why we, we changed the lyrics to the song this morning. At the last minute, I asked Aaron to change the lyrics from lead me, guide me. Say, hey, let's put a verse in where it said lead us, guide us on our way. Because it's more than just an individual thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we tend, I think, to start with the, we think of sheep as singular mm -hmm. because our culture, I mean, we're just like staunch individualists, mm -hmm. right? We like love that feeling of, we've been raised, it's not, you know, any of our faults almost, but like we've been raised to think of ourselves as individuals. It's, yeah. it's me and I have to take care of myself and this is how we operate in the world. But I know that um, Richard Rohr has said that as Americans, we're such gross, gross individualists that in fact, the place we need most stretching is toward the collective. Mm -hmm. That the work that we have to do the most is toward a group and a sense of ourselves in a group mm -hmm. and as responsible to each other and in fact interdependent and that we cannot do this thing called faith. We can't follow Jesus outside of a sense of self that has more than just us, just me, mine, 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 mine yeah. in it. Yeah, I, I was telling Jules this morning, I was listening to Father Richard uh, speak, and he, he said, if you picture heaven apart from everyone else, then you're not really picturing heaven. Hmm. There's, no, there's no heaven without the collective. It's everyone, right? I think that that's really important. I think that there's also some history in our Christianity, in American Christianity, that has kind of shaped us to be individualists. There was a, a guy in the 19th century, a man named Charles Finney. And Charles Finney, if you know your, your uh, church history, Christian history, was a great revivalist. Uh, he was a preacher during the um, Second Great Awakening. And he was out on the frontiers and they would have tent rallies and they would invite whole communities to come. And, and Charles Finney would preach and they noted that he would have all kinds of conversions all kinds of folks would give their lives to Jesus. Here's the thing about Charles Finney, though. Charles Finney was a lawyer before he became a preacher. And one of the things that he was trained in is how to look at a jury and use particular rhetoric, formulaic rhetoric, to help that jury come to a particular decision. And so one of the things that he mastered was the art of looking people in the eyes when he preached and saying just the right things in order for that person to make a personal decision to give their lives to Jesus and come forward and be prayed for. And so we got the beginnings in that those revival tent meetings 
it, it started to be a process that he had perfected. And all kinds of people would come forward because the right things had been said. That's how I was originally converted to Christianity, gave my life early. The verbiage that was told to me was the fear of the threat of hell. And so I said, well, I don't want hell. I'll make this decision. I'll go forward, okay? So it was formulaic and done really, really well. But it planted into the minds of a lot of American Christians this idea that it's on me. I made this call. And I can screw up in this call. Does that make sense? That the history, why we have that, that backing, why a lot of us who grew up, at least in the evangelical church, that's still around. If you've ever been to, uh, to see a, a, a preacher at a revival or at a festival, I remember being a youth pastor and having a pastor say, okay, now this entire crowd with every head bowed and every eye closed, raise your hand if you made a decision for Jesus. And I remember sneaking a peek as I watched him count. And he was, he was bumping up the numbers. He's <laughs> like, oh, I see one. I see one over here. I see one over here. And I looked, and I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> right? But there was this, this, this focus on individual decision, on numbers of people, individuals who made personal decisions for Christ. Jesus is mine, 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 mine. Right? But over and over again, you know, we experience, especially in sacrament, Mm -hmm. that this is not an individual decision, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or that the group holds for us when we can't make that claim. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was first starting to go to church in my 20s, um, I couldn't, I went to a United Methodist church that was really high liturgically. It was very, like, fancy. And um, they had all of, you know, the choir robes and the whole thing. It was just big, 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 big. And um, we always said the Nicene Creed every single Sunday. And I was a new Christian. I wouldn't even really have called myself one, except I'd been baptized. And um, I, uh, I remember I couldn't say parts of the creeds because I didn't believe them. Hmm. But I would, when we said them as a community, I would fade out on the pieces mm -hmm. that I didn't really understand or think made sense to me and my faith. But I would hear these other people in the room really hold those parts. Yeah. And it, um, while I couldn't claim those pieces, it gave me a lot of, it, it made me feel trust that someone had it covered, right? Like that the community somehow, and I think other people were probably fading in and out as well, but as a whole, we could say, this is our story. This is however we understand it. Like, we've got you, yeah? You can fade in, you can fade out, but this is us together as a whole, like kind of a tapestry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when, um, when we come together in baptism, we never, this is just true. This will <laughs> never ever happen, by mm -hmm. the, no, ever. Um, we never baptize someone alone, right? I would never say, if somebody said, uh, hey, Andy, Jules, we really want you to baptize our baby, but um, you're going to have to come to our house, and it's not going to, we just want it to be like an, a kind of a, a loan, private, a private event. Service. Yeah, we don't no, do that. No, because communion, or baptism, is a communal event yeah. that the church promises the family and that person that you are a part of us and are always, yeah. and that when you go out, you still are part of us. You're part of this flock. Yeah, it's same, it, the last wedding I did, um, I had the couple said to me, we really want to have communion. I said, oh, that's going to take a while. And they said, no, well, we just want you to, 
to serve communion to the two of us. Just to the two of just us. Just to the two of us. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Because there's no such thing as private communion. There's no such thing as just for you. The body of Christ is for everyone who's present, and everyone is going to be welcome to partake. And they said, okay, well, I guess the wedding will be a little longer then, because that's exactly what we'll do, right? It was that important. So the understanding, it just took a little flip of a switch to help understand yeah. that it's about the Even collective. when we do take communion into people's homes because mm -hmm. they've been sick or they're not able to come to worship or join us for some reason, we always remind you when mm -hmm. that's you. We remind you that this you were with us when we came together this morning mm -hmm. or the day before. You were in our hearts and with us already when this happened and is happening. And so this is simply an extension mm -hmm. of a communion that has been and is and will be. Yeah. Yes? So it's not a private event. And when, when you all come forward to the table, like you will in just a little while, what do we say? You, you come and we say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And we try to say your name if we know it, because it is for you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with a personal relationship with Jesus. My God, you all need one and should have one. And we should talk about it if you don't feel like you do have one, because that is important. And the next, the very next moment you move and the next person comes and we do exactly the same thing for them exactly the same thing for them because we would never think that you could just have it by yourself every person it's like it's the magical math we talk about right where we're like 100 percent united methodist and 100 percent uh disciples of christ or the that the trinity is three and one all at the mm -hmm. same time you are both entirely unique to jesus and also absolutely inseparable from this larger flock. Yeah. You are sheep and sheeps, and you don't get to be anything but both. It's the only way that it works. Yeah, and there's a, I know some of you, I've even caught some of you rolling your eyes when I say, because yeah. I say it every week, that every we come week. forward with a posture of receiving. And you've just, oh, here oh, we go. We know what he's like, going to say now. Here's why. Here's why, because when we receive, when we take this posture of receiving this gift, it's a little different than this. This is taking. This is you look like a seagull trying to get that bread, right? <laughs> Instead of the understanding that it is, it's an act of receiving. I it's a release of control. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So uh, I, I do want to point out that, that, that it, you are important as individuals. In fact, Jesus talks about, he tells, he asks the Pharisees, look, if one <coughs> of the sheep left, wouldn't you go after that lost sheep? So that individual lost sheep that Jesus talks about elsewhere in scripture is important. But it's important because when you find it, you bring it back, back to the flock. When I was, as I said, I was a high school teacher. And uh, one of my closest and best classes, I taught uh, journalism. We did the school newspaper and it was a lot of work and we took ourselves probably a little too seriously as a high school journalism team. And they were, they were a solid unified team. And one day in class, one day in class, I said something uh, to one of my, my very favorite students, a kid named Andrew Taylor. And I said something to him, and I watched his face just go down, just frown. And I, I saw him start to well up with tears. I had hurt him with what I said, and I didn't mean to, but I had deeply hurt him. And he had to leave the room. He walked out 
and was out in the hallway and I, I didn't realize what I had done, but I went out there and I, I said, Andrew, I am so sorry. Something I said hurt and he explained what I had done and I apologized and I, it makes me emotional to this day because I never would want to hurt my beloved Andrew, right? But I did. And I took some time to reconcile that relationship. And I said, look, I, take a couple minutes to compose yourself, absolutely. But you know we need you, right? Like you do copy editing and layout. <laughs> this team needs you. And he said, I know, I'll be back. And he took a few minutes and he came back into the classroom and we continued to do the work. See, we go after the lost sheep. Sheep can get separated, right? But Jesus does not go after them just for the sake of holding them up and saying, got that sheep. Nope. No. We got to bring them back into the collective, into the fold. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I, uh, I noticed that I just, I love about this particular text. In the wording that we read this morning, which I think is from the CEB, it talks about where Jesus says, um, his, I have sheep. Who do, not, who do not belong to this fold. In another version that we were reading, we were reading the NRSV this week, and it said, I have sheep who are not in this pen. And I realized when Jesus is talk about, talking about sheep and having them in different pens, this is all one flock. He's claiming them all. But they're divided into different pens, different individual communities. And some of the pens may function differently, may have a different vibe than the other pens, but they're still a whole flock. And I think this is a really important piece of the scripture because the, the gospel of, sorry to interrupt no, you, no, no, you, the yeah, gospel of John in particular has been used as sort of a weapon mm -hmm. against, um, especially uh, it's been very, used very anti-Semitically and it has been used to kind of bash people over the head about like, this is the way. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. You have to come this way, one way, to me, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to know that the context of this is a little bit different than that. Mm -hmm. And that when we're talking about Jesus saying, I have many pens, I have many sheepfolds, that it sort of explodes the idea that we can even think to use this scripture that way mm -hmm. because Jesus is saying there is diversity yeah. across all of the ways of being and that you're all mine. You're, yeah. It's not my, 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 mine. It's, it's all mine. It's yeah. all mine. Yeah. So thank you for letting yeah, me. Yeah. And, and I think that's great. I mean, the way I put it to Jules this week in, in this, uh, well, I, this is the way I looked at it. Some pens do like we do when they gather on Sunday morning and they hear, something like a sermon and, and they sing some songs and they do the Sunday morning things. Well, other pens may pray in a particular direction three times a day. And some other pens may actually gather in a synagogue. And they may, you see what I'm saying? That there are different pens and Jesus claims them all. And so I think a helpful question that we might ask, and I'm talking about interfaith relationships here, which are really, really important, even ecumenical relationships with denominations. Maybe a question that we need to ask is not, do they belong to Jesus? But how is Jesus shepherding that pen? That's not my pen. I'm in this one. But how is Jesus leading that particular pen? How are they following in the way of this good shepherd? If he claims that, that I have sheep in other pens, and other, they're mine too, and there's going to be one flock 
That's the whole goal. That's, we're trying to bring us together in unity, right? And Does when that we make sense? Yeah, and when we divide yeah. ourselves, when mm -hmm. we see, when we don't honor the differences, but only see the fencing, mm -hmm. then what we're doing is falling into that black and white thinking where it's like, this is mine. Yeah. And it's all mine, 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 and Jesus is mine. Instead of saying, hey, yeah. it's all, Jesus is saying it's all mine. Yeah. It's all mine. And we get fall into that dualistic thinking that mm -hmm. we love to fall into so much. Right. And it, it, it also, um, if we're not careful, it can make us think that we carry Jesus specially. Uh, and if people don't carry it in the same way or if people don't get Jesus the way we do, then they don't get him at all. I remember having a friend of mine who was coming to plant a church in a major metropolitan area in the Pacific Northwest. And he was moving out from Chicago. And he said, yep, we're going to bring Jesus to Seattle. And I went, oh, wait a minute. Um, glad you got Jesus. That's important. You think maybe he's already there? I mean, think maybe it's not just the way you're carrying Like, you don't have any Like he's a plan? ventriloquist stummy yeah. and he's got him in a suitcase or something. Yeah. I, the whole reason why we're having this conversation and why we pay, we're paying attention to songs like this is that, and this is the main point for the morning, the claim that you have on Christ, which you do have a claim on Christ, if you, if you have made a personal decision, if you've decided, I'm going to follow in this way, whatever that looked like for you, conversion looks different for a lot of people, you have a claim on Christ. But that claim is simply acknowledging the claim that God has already made on you and the entire world since the very beginning. It's important that we understand that. That God has claimed it all. And your proclamation of your claim is an acknowledgement that you are part of something bigger. Yes, Jesus is yours. Jesus is also all of ours. Which means that we need each other. It means it's important that we stay in community with one another. That we find community with one another. Because you're not meant to fly solo as a sheep not the way it's meant to be, right? Your personal relationship is part of a collective relationship. Yeah? Would you add anything? Just that it depends on each other. And yeah. when you don't feel when you don't feel deeply connected, you know that you can count on the rest to guide and hold that space for you. Mm -hmm. That the pen is always there, right? And the yeah. shepherd is always looking for you and helping you. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think the good news for me in this there, it's, there's never a singular sheep, is that you're not alone. Yeah. You're never alone mm -hmm. because of the shepherd and because of the rest of the sheep in the flock. Yeah. And that's truly good news to me. Yeah, and, and it's good. Yes, it's absolutely good news. It's, it's good news because you're not alone and despite the fact that you're not alone. Because mm -hmm. let's face it, sometimes we ornery sheep, we don't get along with each other, <laughs> right? That's real. Heaven looks a lot like an armchair alone mm -hmm. in a library. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's why I say it's, it is good news that we don't do this alone, that these relationships that we, we are blessed with and we struggle with, they are a blessing. Even they when they're difficult. Even when they're or difficult. Or smelly. Yeah. Or loud. Absolutely. With, with that, let me pray for us. <laughs> God, we thank you that you have chosen all of us. We who can be uh, smelly and ornery and obstinate and uh, crazy and difficult. And yet you love us. 
And you teach us how to love one another, how to be together in this way that you are shepherding us in, this way of love and light and hope and truth and goodness and kindness and justice. And we ask that you as our good shepherd would continue, continue to lead us, continue to call us back and help us as a community that's all together seeking to follow in your way, to rely on one another, to seek one another's company, to ask one another, how are you? Do you need help? How can I help you? To check in and care for one another, just as you care for us. We thank you for the gift that is this church community and for the way that you are leading and guiding us in your way, guiding us, all of us, in your way. We give you thanks and we pray all of this in Jesus' name and in all the holy names of God and all of God's people said collectively, Amen. Amen.